Here we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, December the 4th, in the year of our Lord, 2019, which means it's a Bible study Wednesday. Congregations may be gathered listening to this. I talk, and at the end of the program, then they discuss what we had to say. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 7. And we're doing this for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're in the season of Advent. The word Advent is the coming and refers to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He comes, of course, in the Bethlehem stable. He comes into our hearts at conversion, and he comes judgment day. Now, is that concept of coming the church made up, or is it actually part of Scripture? Well, we're going to see as part of Scripture in Acts chapter 7. What's Acts chapter 7 all about? This is when Stephen gets stoned for his proclamation that Jesus is the Christ. And in chapter 7, Stephen gives a little history of Israel under Moses and, of course, Moses at a fire in a burning bush was talking to God, and God said, and we're looking at verse 32, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the Lord tells him that I'm going to send you to Egypt, and you will bring out the people. And I will show signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness 40 years. We're going to begin with verse 37. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 7. So here we go. This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Now, of course, that's none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the new Abraham. Jesus is the new Moses. And so Moses is saying that just like Moses was a prophet from God, so also another prophet will be raised up. Him you shall hear. Does that not remind you of the transfiguration of Jesus Christ? When God the Father said from the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So every time we speak how God thinks, that's because we're listening to Jesus throughout the whole Bible. Now, who is this Jesus? Verse 38, this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. 
whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. So, that's right. If you take a look at Exodus 3, you'll find that the angel of the Lord, and it's got a definite article, the angel of the Lord, who calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, speaks to Moses at the burning bush. This is none other than Jesus Christ himself, the second person of the Trinity, often referred to in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. And he's the one that gave oracles. Now, the word oracle is simply prophecy also about what is going on, how God thinks, and sometimes about the future. But our fathers would not obey. So Stephen is talking about the people, his fathers, in the wilderness. They would not obey Jesus. And boy, it just blows your mind. On the one hand, they come to the Red Sea and they are really afraid. The sea opens up and they cross it. Then they see the Egyptians coming against them. They're afraid again. Then the sea closes and destroys the Egyptian soldiers. Then they start complaining that they don't have any water. So out of a rock comes water. Then they complain they don't have any bread. Then God says manna. Then they complain they don't have any meat. And God sends birds. Then they complain when they get to the promised land, oh, these are giants. There's no way that we're going to be able to defeat them. I mean, what kind of historic experience does a person need to have to know that Jesus is capable of doing whatever he says? But they spend another 38 years in the wilderness until those people who refused to go in died and the younger generation is ready to go in to the land of Canaan. That's what Stephen is talking about. And he even says in verse 39, in their hearts, they turn back to Egypt. Why? Well, because in Egypt, they had food, and yes, they were complaining about how hard the work was, especially when they were not given straw to make their bricks. But they seem to have forgotten that. And what do they say to Aaron? And this is taking place when Moses is up on the mountain and not coming back. Make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him because he was on the mountain for some time. Uh, by the way, that's in Exodus 32. And so what did they do? Under Aaron, they made a calf in those days. Remember that golden calf? And offered sacrifices to the idol. And they rejoiced. Now, this is really important because this is a summary of worship of every religion outside of Christianity. Verse 41, they rejoiced in the works 
of their own hands. See, this is where we get into law and gospel. Every person that Jesus criticized, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, is because they were rejoicing in the work of their own hands. Thank God, they said, I'm not like that tax collector working for the Romans, because look what I do. I fast, I tithe. And, and he was mentioning in that parable in Luke that Jesus gives, he was mentioning the ceremonial laws, not even the moral laws. And they were rejoicing in the work of their own hands. So God, verse 42, turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Uh, by the way, this is from Amos chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. Let me read it. Did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? Yes, you took up the tabernacle of, tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god, Remphen, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Now, there's a promise from God that he's going to be taking them into Babylonian captivity. Now, Molech, that was a king, uh, the name of the god of the Ammonites, and they were worshiping him. And then Remphan, that was also the name of an idol that was worshipped secretly by the Israelites in the wilderness. But there's nothing you can do secretly from the point of view of God. So verse 44, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Remember that was that tabernacle with the Holy of Holies in it. As he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles. Now, this is when that holy tabernacle, uh, the men carried it into the water and the water split so the Israelites could go and possess the land of the Gentiles. That means the Canaanites, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David. Now notice, God is the actor. He is the one who gets all the credit for going into the land of Canaan and defeating the enemies. Now, Stephen talks about David, verse 46, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. Remember Nathan the prophet, David asked him, can I build a house for God? Nathan said, oh, sure. And then that night, God told Nathan the prophet, no, I want David to continue to clean up the land and I'm going to use his son to build the house. And that's what Stephen says in verse 47. 
but Solomon built him a house. And that was a beautiful temple. Verse 48. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, now we're going to go to Isaiah. You don't have to look it up. It's just a quote that Stephen has in his message. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2, and it's verses 49 and 50. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Remember, John chapter 1 tells us nothing was made on the day of creation, the six days of creation, that was not made by Jesus. His hand made all these things. So, remember, Stephen is talking before people who are very critical of Jesus Christ. And listen how critical Stephen speaks against them. Verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. In other words, they do not believe the word of God. They're very stubborn. In fact, that was one of the reasons why God says he chose the Jews because of their stubbornness as the chosen people. Because that way, anything that came from them being chosen as the chosen people to give the message even to the Gentiles, remember that Jonah did at Nineveh, God gets all the credit. But what happened? These people, verse 51, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Now, how are they resisting the Holy Spirit? Because when Jesus speaks, yes, there are many people who hear and the Holy Spirit gives them faith and they rejoice in that faith but there are many who reject the movement of the Holy Spirit within them. And then Stephen says, verse 52, and this is, of course, similar to what happened to Jesus. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And here comes the verse I wanted to really use, verse 52. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. That's really critical. You see, the prophets foretold the coming of the just one. That word coming is actually, even in the Hebrew, understood as advent the coming of the just one. Who's that? Jesus. He's the only just one. Yes, he was incarnate. He became a human being. He's exactly like a human being, except he has no sin. 
quite a difference. And these people to whom Stephen is speaking accuses them of killing the just one, that they have become betrayers and murderers. Now, that also is part of the preaching of Peter at the Pentecost sermon. And some of the people there say, what shall we do? Because they come to a realization they have murdered the Messiah. And Peter says, be baptized. And that's a passive. That's in grammar. What does that mean? Baptism is not an act that you do. It's an act done to you by none other than God himself. For in baptism, Peter says in Acts 2, you receive two gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the forgiveness of sins. It's kind of interesting that in the Pentecost sermon, when the people heard that they had killed the Messiah, many of them, it says, were cut to the heart. In fact, it really bothered them, and that's why they were afraid that they would be not saved. What shall we do? And baptism was the result. But look at verse 54. When Peter, uh, sorry, when Stephen accuses them of killing the Messiah, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, same as those who became believers at the Pentecost sermon. Only their being cut to the heart means they gnashed at him with their teeth. Wow. They were really angry with him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, remember, the Holy Spirit had already been given at Pentecost, and so Stephen had been baptized, full of the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I recently was on the Internet, and there was some non-Lutheran pastor who said that once Jesus ascended into heaven, he never again appeared here on earth. Well, here's an example where Stephen saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And what does that mean? Well, when we talk about the ascension, Jesus is the right arm of the Lord. He's the next in command. He does not only follow the mission of God the Father, but he is the one who sits with God the Father. What did Stephen say? Look, verse 56, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, that's almost blasphemy to an unbeliever. And sure enough, in verse 57, they then cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. Stop their ears. You, you know, you hear that? Somebody doesn't like hearing something, so they put their hands over their ears. They, they don't want to hear any more of this because they think it's terrible what Stephen is saying. And they cast him out of the city. Isn't that interesting? Jesus also 
was taken out of the city and stoned him. And guess who was there? The witnesses who were stoning him laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the first time that Saul is mentioned in the Bible. And you know what happened to Saul. There was a road of to Damascus experience. He was going there to persecute the Christians when there was a brilliant light. Stephen fell from his horse. He was blinded. And again, Jesus speaks. This is after his ascension. And Saul says, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Because when you persecute part of the family of Jesus, you're persecuting Jesus himself. Or recall, there are Christian families being put to death overseas in strong Muslim areas. And when a father sees his children killed, that's also a persecution of the father. And so he was, first of all, thrown out of the city like Jesus. Verse 59, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and said, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. What does that remind you of? We first of all have Jesus taken out of the city, not stoned, but crucified. And what does he say as one of the words from the cross? Father, into thy hands receive my spirit. You see, that's what happens to a human being when he or she dies. They die, their body goes into the ground, but immediately their spirit is taken to heaven. It's called the interim, I-N-T-E-R-I-M, the time between when you die and your spirit goes to be with Jesus and judgment day when your body will be restored to your spirit. And it doesn't really matter what happened to your body. It can have decayed entirely in the ground or it could be eaten by uh, fish or animals, God will recreate that body and you will have a body and spirit in the heavens. Our final verse, verse 60. Then Stephen knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. What does that remind you of? Again, Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And here in these words of Stephen, you get the precise understanding of forgiveness, is you are not charged with sin. What does that mean? You're not held accountable for your sin. Well, who is held accountable? None other than Jesus Christ on the cross. He paid the price. That's 
why every part of the Bible is about Jesus, even what Stephen has to say as he's being stoned. And then it says, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, we got to be understanding what that word means. Fall asleep is the way in which the description of what happens to a believer is when he dies. He falls asleep. So wherever you find that phrase, that's usually talking about believers who have died. And that's why this message of Stephen is so very, very important. He fell asleep in Jesus. In fact, you'll see this on tombs. Asleep in Jesus is often said, for example, in various tombstones. Or have you ever seen R.I.P. Rest in Peace? That's what happens to the Christian. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel, it's a Thursday. We're going to be talking about a pro-life issue that might really surprise you. So be with us on Thursday with Wes Reimnitz and myself, Tom Baker, to talk about a part of pro-life that isn't talked about very often. Until then, God bless. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.